Hello, and welcome to An Aromatic Life. Today, we're going to explore the world of oud. I'm so excited. Maybe you know it as agar wood or aloes wood. Those are two other names that it's often referred to as. But oud is really a fascinating aromatic resinous material. Its use can be traced back to ancient civilizations, including those of the Middle East, India, and Southeast Asia. It was often mentioned in ancient texts and scriptures for its aromatic properties. So perfect for this podcast, right? Oud holds religious and cultural significance in many societies. It's used in religious ceremonies, rituals, and for meditation practices by Hindus, Buddhists, and Muslims alike. Here in the West, we're starting to see more and more oud-based fragrances on the market, from the likes of Dior, Louis Vuitton, Versace, and Tom Ford. Even mass retailer Bath & Body Works here in the U.S. launched a dark velvet oud collection this year. Needless to say, the oud industry is big business. I wanted to explore the spiritually significant aromatic material that means so much to so many people. So I invited someone who's actively working with this material. My guest today is Rahel Ali from the company Oudbase. They've been in the oud business for several generations and today sell both the wood chips and the oil. In this conversation, Rahel and I talk about the cultural significance of oud, the different forms it's used in. We also talk about the material itself, how it's extracted from the Aquilaria tree, how they use all the different parts of the wood. Nothing is wasted. We also touch on the different grades of oud and how you can determine the quality. We also discuss the issues of sustainability and adulteration, which are big topics in the oud world these days. But of course, most importantly, we talk about the scent, this gorgeously deep and complex aroma. If you haven't already smelled an oud wood chip burning on charcoal, I hope you get to experience this beautiful scent one day. It's fantastic. And in my opinion, so much better than any commercial fragrance you'll find on the market. So let's get started. Let's explore the world of oud with my guest, Rahel Ali. This is An Aromatic Life, the podcast that aims to shed light on our beautiful sense of smell and increase its profile in a culture dominated by sight and sound. My name is Frau Kagalia. I'm a certified aromatherapist and smell coach who spent over 20 years in and around the fragrance industry. What I know for sure after all these years is that our sense of smell is powerful, yet is so underappreciated. There's so much we can do to harness our sense of smell to be well. So join me as I explore this mesmerizing sense from all different angles and learn what it can do for you. Enjoy the show. I want to welcome you to an aromatic life, Rahel. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's my pleasure. Yeah, it's. we've been talking for a while now, and I think what's going to be really important is to give people a better understanding about this beautiful material, oud. And I'll be honest, I don't know a lot about it and I can't wait for others to learn more about it as well. Yeah, you know, it's to start off with, it is a polarizing aroma. You know, it, there is this common theme amongst most influencers and fragrance reviewers that oud is this kind of real animalic barnyard 
kind of smell. Now, yes, there is an element of truth there because ultimately it's it's a fungal infection. So it does have this kind of animatic, but not as the way they describe it because most of the, the reviews that you hear and you see on YouTube uh, and when you read about is really targeted at the oils. And vast majority of oils aren't really distilled in, in the manner that they should be distilled. And also the, the wood in itself is also different. You know, what's really used more in, in the Middle East is the wood chip as opposed to the oil. There is like 150 different components, uh, elements in this oil that really, you know, is, is something that is super unique and is not found in any other material. So I'll give you an example. The way it's predominantly used in the Middle East is on charcoal. So you get the wood chip and, you know, normally they place it on a charcoal, which it burns at around about temperature, about 1,000 to 1,200 degrees Celsius, right? Now, in that process, you get the most incredible divine aroma that comes from it. But it's, it's really short-lived. It's really short-lived. And this is what was going to be my next up-and-coming video, really, is how to smell oud. I know, as, as ridiculous as it sounds, there is a way to actually smell it. And most people miss that moment, that window of really experiencing the true beauty of burning oud, which is the very first few seconds, I would say within the first five to 10 seconds, maybe it, it all depends on the grade, you know, but, and also it, you know, the, the burner should be relatively close to you. And this is where most of the people go wrong there as well. So the aroma that you'll get from these wood chips is just, it's actually really hard to describe. And it, it takes someone like myself years to understand it because there's just so many different notes that you'll find in there. I mean, I remember making a video where I tried to explain and go down the list of aromas that can be found in it. And boy, was that a mistake because the amount of keyboard warriors that I got just hating on me was just incredible, you know? So, but it's all there. I, I mean, I can list a few, you know, obviously animalic notes, leather notes, the floral notes, fruity notes, tobacco notes, tea notes, orange notes, dry fruit notes. You can even get cola notes, uh, believe it or not. Some um, Malaysian oils, they, they have this really cola note and even melon notes. I mean, I've experienced so many different aromas within this like really single source ingredient. This is what's really mind blowing. And, you know, to really enjoy and appreciate oud, you really have to kind of empty your mind of all the other kind of stuff that we've all smelt and just try to see it, you know, in that kind of light as in like, this is the, there's nothing like it. No other material is produced where it has that kind of top note, middle note and base note, and that kind of therapeutic aspect to this aroma that is, in my opinion, not found in anything else, you know, nothing is comparable. So, yeah. Well, that's why I've got you here today, because I think those who are experienced with oud, like you said, a lot of them come from the perspective of having experienced it in a fragrance, especially here in the Western world because that's how people were introduced to it. But also 
I think what's going to be wonderful, why I wanted to have you on is we're going to talk about where it's from, the source, right? The origins, which is what you work on, as opposed to just in a finished product as an ingredient that people like to promote. So let's talk about that, okay? But I, I want to start because I ask every guest when they come on, I want to understand what the sense of smell means to you, because we're going to be evaluating oud based on its smell. So let's talk about that beautiful sense. What does the sense of smell mean to you when I say that? Yeah, for me, it's unique and it's, it's directly linked to emotions and memories. But as a Muslim, it, it's, it's even more significant for me because it's, it's also a spiritual thing. You know, in Islam, it's part of our, our, our daily routine to kind of adorn ourselves with good smells. Hence why when you go to places like the UAE or Dubai, the aroma is incredible in the mosques. And this also, of course, leads to when I first smelled oud, you know, which was exactly in that kind of setting. But yeah, for me, it's more of a spiritual significance, a religious significance, because it's also mentioned in our Quran that heaven will have uh, the smell of aloes oud, you know, so it, it, it's there, you know, it's, it, and, and, and it's not just Islam, it's in Hinduism, it's in Buddhism, it's even in Christianity somewhere I read once. And it's also in so many different other cultures within the Asian subcontinent, you know, so yeah, it, it has a huge significance in my life. Yeah. Yeah. So you're connected with your sense of smell a lot. A absolutely. Absolutely. It's, for me, it's, especially with oud, it, it's, it, it has a spiritual effect on me. You know, when I'm heating oud or burning oud, it really puts my mind and my emotion in a place that no other aroma does, you know? So, yeah. I mean, I remember during COVID, you know, like a lot of people, I lost my sense of smell and taste. And boy, that was like losing a limb. It really is. This is the significance of the sense of smell and even taste. It was, I think it was like three weeks where I was completely, I couldn't smell anything. And yeah, wow. it's just, it was horrifying really, to be quite honest. But when I did eventually get it back, it was just, you know, it was the most uh, gratifying feeling ever. So can we talk a little bit about how you first came across oud and the smell of oud? I, I love this story. You talk about it, but share it with our listeners. One of, one of the stories that I kind of not mentioned, but I'll tell you, my actual first smell of was in, in the mosque. It was prayer time and it, we were literally about to start. And I was like, oh my God, what is that smell? And that was my f initial reaction. I thought it was horrible. But then within, I would say, five sniffs, it, it just, it just, developed in my nostrils like nothing else and by the end I mean literally the prayer takes between three to five minutes to complete and I kid you not by the end of those minutes I was hunting for this individual who's wearing it because it just it blossomed in a way that was just nothing else it it went from this kind of real uh, um, fungally note to this kind of beautiful orange blossom dried fruit and it was just it was really, truly wow. mind-blowing. I remember it just like it was yesterday. And then obviously this led on, I think this is a, a you know, a sign from God that I'll be meeting because, you know, the, the next time I, I came across it was literally when I was visiting my wife's family. Well, I was about to marry into the world of Oud, quite literally. 
My wife's family, you know, have been doing it for generations. I remember just before I got married, visiting my mother-in-law. And she came into the room with what's called a matkana or, or a oud burner, you know, like one of these kind of, like a vase, you know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have seen one of these. And she was just burning this. And I was like, wow, I've smelled this smell before. And it was just, it was like, you know, it was, it was like as if it was a sign from God, you know? So yeah, it was a match made in heaven, so to speak. And then you got into this business, right? When you got married, your in-laws, historically, they've been connected to the Oud business for a long time. Is that correct? Very long time. Yeah. In northern Bangladesh and bordering Assam, India, they've been doing it for hundreds of years, probably thousands. I'm not sure exactly. I mean, I did question my father-in-law, how far back did it go? And he's like, I really can't tell you. But all I know is my father did it and his father before him and his father before him. And that's wow. as much as I know. So Yes, it's been around there for a very, very long time. You know, like I say, it's mentioned in the Sanskrit scriptures, which is probably one of the oldest texts we have. And I, that goes back 5,000 years or so. It's there. It's, it's been around for a very, very long time. You know, my, my father-in-law has been, you know, in this industry for a heck of a long time. From as a Oud hunter, you know, going into the forest as a child. Obviously, it's going back 60, 70 years. And then from there, moving to Mumbai and from Mumbai to, to Dubai. And he, he was, you know, in his time, he was rubbing shoulders. Fellow traders were people like Ajmal and, and Al Hamain. I mean, I don't know if some, any of you is, um, may have heard of, of these brands. They were around in my father-in-law's time. You know, he ended up in Dubai 45, 50 years ago. And, you know, he was serving the, the royal, royal family for the, yeah, it's it's mind blowing. You know, there's there's such an, a crazy story right there. You know, from a kid in a rural village to you know serving royalty. royalty. It's a, really an amazing story, and one day I'll probably do a video about that. Actually, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the cultural significance of oud, and I, I think it's been referred to as black gold. Right? Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, again, for a lot of the Muslims, it's really kind of a religious significance. And that's where a lot of the desire to use it and wear it comes from that is it's really, especially with the Middle Eastern folks, they're into it because, again, it's, it's something that is mentioned in the Quran and also something that our prophet used and the Sahabas, that his followers used. And, you know, it, it's not just them. It's also dates back further than that as well. So it, it's a religious cultural thing in the Middle East. And that's developed into this kind of a social thing when they'll get together, drink tea and do some shisha and at the same time, they'll burn some oud. And yeah, it's, you know, pastime in the Middle East that is not everyone can afford to do it. But, you know, this is where I go into talking about the grades and stuff like this. Sounds very ceremonial, very in the present moment. You know, like you're having an experience. It's not just a passing thing. I find sometimes in the West, people burn a candle or something, but they're off doing other things. I feel like you're present and it's, you know, you really engage. Absolutely, it's it's it's, it's spot on. I would say the 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 people who who take it to a, a, a next level in in regards to that um, would be the Japanese in their, in the kodo sessions. That's where you know it's like this sensory awareness meeting that they'll get in, into a circle and they'll 
be heating these incredibly rare pieces and they'll be talking about it and trying to identify the different notes and aroma that they're experiencing. And it, you're right, it really is a grounding thing to do when you're heating or burning oud, yeah. Sounds like it's like you had mentioned, it's mostly the wood chips that are burned, but then there's also a fragrance element, right? So can you tell me a little bit about, you know, the difference in when you use what form of oud? So the, the wood chip is usually used within the house. And like I say, when guests come or to fumigate the house, or if you want to, you know, when you're going out, they will fumigate their clothes of it, and then they will spray perfume over themselves. And it kind of locks in the fragrance a bit more on the clothes. You know, it helps to bind the perfume that you may be wearing even better. And likewise, it's also the same sort of thing with the oils. They would traditionally be wearing oils and, and then they'll layer it with perfumes. So yeah, these are the two basic forms that are usually used. And also in, in Bukhor, uh, which is, it's like an incense, handmade incense, but not like the incense sticks that you, we, we, we normally see in, in India or, or in Japan. It, this is, Bukhor is kind of a mixture of the original anyway is a mixture of natural fragrant ingredients like oils and resins and ambergris. Obviously nowadays it's more kind of the synthetic ingredients that are in there, fragrant oils and stuff like this. That's what they would use, oud oil and uh, sometimes the wood chip as well. They'll, they'll soak it in that and keep it in there for a, for, a, for a while and then they'll burn that whenever, the, you know, guests are coming in the house or whenever they want to fumigate the house. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So let's talk about the tree. The Aguilaria tree, I think it's called, which is found throughout Southeast Asia. So that's where you get the oud from, right? Yeah, yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about the process of how you extract to create oud? So initially, it starts off as a fungal infection. I think they call it Phylophoria parasitica or something like this. It starts off as that which infects the tree. And that process where the immune system and the infection of this particular fungus produces oily resin within the wood, which spreads out throughout the, the tree. Eventually, obviously, in, in time, it kills the tree. But this is where the fragrance of the, uh, the, the wood chips really develop within there. And that process, in terms of plantation, that normally in the, the region that I'm from in Bangladesh, the way they would inoculate it would be sticking nails into the tree at around five to seven year old trees and then from there onwards it will take roughly about two years for the infection to develop and then the longer you keep the infection in there for the better the quality but not always nowadays we have a variety of different inoculation processes the majority of it is synthetic inoculation process that are being used which has sped up the process of the infection within the tree. So yeah, it's making that process far quicker. I think the, sh the shortest time 
would probably be a year to two years for the infection to really kick in when it's done kind of in, in a natural way, so to speak, without any chemicals. Now, this process could be done in three to six months, uh, meaning the kicking off the process of the infection. But okay. it's not the same as uh, an organically infected tree. The orang will never be yeah. the, the same. And of course, the, the naturally infected trees, the, the, the kind of wild ones, you know, there's a d difference between that as well in terms of the aroma and the therapeutic aspects of it. You don't touch something, you let it just naturally develop. That's always preferred, right? <laughs> uh, of course, even the people who use it will prefer that. But nowadays, you know, majority of the oud that has been sold in the Middle East, majority of it is plantation, you know. But people will say, oh, no, but what about the wild? It's not really wild. What they have is, you know, an example will be like if they had a, a let's just say they had a, a massive field of plantation trees. They'll also have a, an area where it's naturally grown and, and they'll try and encourage natural infection to, to appear. Like in India, there is plantation, but it, 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 it's, it's set in, in, a, in a more of a natural setting as opposed to rows and rows of trees. Whereas in Bangladesh, it's slightly different. You know, you'll get rows and rows of trees in people's backyards. You'll get it in massive fields. Whereas in India, it's, it's kind of more widely spread out and, and it's set in a nat more of a natural setting. And the infection rate is higher. So the quality is better, but not wild in the sense that it's in some jungle. And, you know, so, yeah. What I understand is that the two main species that are used, so Aquilaria rostrata and Aquilaria malasensis. I hope I pronounced those correctly. <laughs> those are actually IUCN classified as critically endangered and the Aquilaria sensis is vulnerable. Yes, uh, uh, yes, the wild ones are absolutely. But like I say, there, there is far more people planting these trees. It is the plantation, like if you look in, in, in Bangladesh, for instance, like I say, vast majority of it is in plantations. Vast yeah. majority of it. In India, like I say, slightly more natural setting, but in, in Thailand and in Cambodia, in Laos and even Vietnam, it's majority of it is plantation, vast majority of it plantation. Yes, the ones that are called wild, you know, I would say it's more naturally infected, yes, but they encourage natural infection by drilling tiny little holes and putting, you know, honey into it to get the ants to crawl into it and burrow into it and stuff like this. So, so they encourage a natural uh, formation of the oud. But these countries like Cambodia, and, and they don't really have miles and miles and miles of wild forests anymore anyway. You know, so vast majority of it, like I say, it is plantation. But yeah, uh, I mean, the only country, uh, as far as I know at the moment, that has a large stock of wild and, and even that is really depleting quite a lot is Indonesia. Again, even in Indonesia, there, there's tons of uh, plantation going on. So as quick as it is being depleted in, in the wild, it's also being replaced in the plantation areas, you know, but yeah, it's, there is that horrible aspect of people going into forest and randomly cutting trees. It's the last yeah. thing I want to see because that will affect me at the end of the day. And it's not something that I would promote. I noticed that actually talking about the, the farmers, the people who work in these plantations, that's something that's really important to you. So when you source your agarwood, your oud, then... You know, that's something that you make sure is the part of the supply chain for you. Yeah, absolutely. So 
where we have direct links with farmers is predominantly in India and in, in Bangladesh. And obviously trans, we're transparent as possible uh, when it comes to the sourcing of our wood and give the rightful prices for them when it comes to dealing with these people. So predominantly we, we are buying large quantities of food from big wholesalers in the Far East. But again, like, like I say, with regards to Bangladesh and India, yeah, we're as transparent as possible when it comes to sourcing our agarwood and giving the right price for them. Yeah, because it's so expensive. That's the challenge because this material is one of the most expensive in the world. But this is, again, it's, it's not as expensive what people might say. This is where I was going to talk okay. to you about grades. Let's talk about grades. Yeah, yeah. So in, in terms of grades, recently with Jeremy Fragrance and him highlighting that, oh, it's worth more than gold. And it, it's true. It, it is worth more than gold. But then this is really the higher, super high end of food. If any of your viewers, if they really want to know a little bit more about it, I would suggest to watch a documentary called Sent from Heaven, which was okay. done by Al, Al Jazeera. And that can explain some of the, the prices that they will hear. I mean, there, there is a certain grade called Kinam or Kira in Japanese. Chinese call it Kinam. This is regarded like the highest grade of Oud. And those sort of kind of stuff per kilo can go for thousands and thousands of dollars. If you watch that documentary, you'll get an idea of what kind of price we're talking about. But in reality, it's not that expensive. It's not 20 million or something stupid like that. It's, it's or 100,000 for a kilo. No, it's not. It's usually around two, three, four thousand per kilo. And of course, the higher the grade it is, the more expensive it will be. But we're talking about the wood here. The okay. oils per liter could be anything from 12 to 16,000 dollars per liter. So yeah, there is a market for the factory oils. It is predominantly used in some of the perfumes in the Middle East. So when you're determining the quality of oud that you're sourcing, how do you go about doing that? The sinking and non-sinking grade. Talk about that a little bit. It comes down to oud is, is a craft, okay? It's a physical thing. So it's really having the handling experience of this particular product. So for instance, we'll look into the depth of the infection, the size of the pieces, the shape of the pieces, the complexity of the aroma, the weight of the wood chip, all these things are, are a factor in, in the grading process, you know? So also which region is it from will determine the grade and the, and the price, eventual price for it. So yeah, there's, there's a number of factors and, and one that can't just be read about, you know, is, is something that you, you really have to be handling it on a daily basis. So not everyone can do it. You know, I'm, I'm still in the learning stage of grading. So yeah, this is, this is how it's done most of the time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the quality matters because there's a lot of adulteration on the market is what I understand, which is the case for a lot of materials. But talk about adulteration a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, in regards to food, you know, like I say, different shapes and different sizes have different price levels. So what tends to happen is because it's a very tricky wood chip to, to actually extract, you know, it comes in so many different shapes. In that process, some of the pieces get broken. And what tends to happen in that process, they tend to glue pieces together. Yeah. Wow. Which kind of ultimately destroys the aroma. And this is one of the factors. And also one of the biggest issues in the trade is the color, you know, coloring the wood to make it look like it's of a higher grade. 
And obviously you have to know your, your wood, you have to know what it looks like when it's first been extracted and, and, and understand the, the, the formation of the, of the, of the, of the infection and, and all these kind of aspects of it to, to realize that it's, it's got color in it. But also when you, when you burn it, it doesn't burn for longer than it is supposed to sort of thing. So that's how you, you, you can find out whether it's been adulterated with the, with the oil, you know, 80% of uh, essential oils that are out there, regardless of whether it's in oud trade or in any other trade, is diluted. Yeah. I remember watching a documentary about that as well. And yeah, this is what's happening. So this is where my company and, and the direction that I wanted to take it was to distill our own and showcase it. And, and this is why I make all the videos that I make to show that we make our own, we source our own, we grade, we make sure that no other ultra, adulteration is in there before. It's all about understanding the product that you're, you're distilling, you know. So that's what kind of makes us unique uh, compared to some of the other oo traders in the West. Yeah, I love that you cut out a lot of the middlemen because I find the more middlemen there are, the more chance of adulteration. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, my in-laws, they, they do wholesale in the Middle East, so I get uh, to literally take as much as the dust as possible because when it's getting extracted they call it the cleaning process so when you extract it from the tree you're shaving away the non-resinous fibers from the wood chip and depending on which stage of that process you collect the fibers or the shavings will determine the quality of the dust that you're getting and eventually the quality of the oil at the end and also right, how you right. distill it you know there's there's soaking non-soaking and all these kind of other processes that are involved in the distillation process which can have a significant effect on the uh, end product yeah un unfortunately it's, it's it's a trade where you know a lot of adulteration is it's massive it so this is why i i try and be as as transparent as possible with all the videos that i make and because i really it's, it really comes down to just loving the product you know i just I'm in this battle to try and promote oud, you know, and it's not, like I say, it's not just for the super rich. Yeah, you, you can pick up oud chips for, you know, $50, you know what I mean? Like you, you, you can get, you know, 10 grams, 20 grams for even cheaper than that. It's just really finding someone that you can trust and, and a company that can supply you these things, you know, and yeah, it's, it's not for super rich. Right. I mean, you have some really wonderful videos and I'm going to share a link in the show notes so people can check out your videos because you do a lot of educating and I think it's wonderful. So thank you for that. So to talk about quality and what to look for, because I've got a lot of people who listen who are perfumers, who are aromatherapists, who use a lot of natural materials. And one of the things that I think is a real good indicator, at least what I've read, and I think I've heard you say as well is, is you can judge quality based on the complexity of the fragrance. You know, the ones that are most adulterated are probably really linear and don't have a lot going on. So is that correct? No, no, absolutely. So the vast majority of it, if it's pure, will be from a, a lower grade or shall I say younger trees which haven't really developed the, the infection quite uh, as much as the older trees or the older infections. So I would say 90 to 98% of most of the oud oils that are out there is factory uh, oils of pretty low grade, but it's still okay. But the 
oud oils that they use in majority of the perfumes and the fragrances by the big brands isn't quite oud. I'll explain. So yes. again, it's another grade. So it's called boya. Okay. This substance is called boya. Okay. So this is like the white wood of the oud. So in, in, in a tree, you'll, you'll get all these like small chunks of the infection spread out all over the tree. And majority of the tree is actually white wood. And then you get a few pieces here and there in the tree that's dark and, and that's the actual oud. Now, nothing gets wasted in the oud trade. So what they do with this wood, they'll dry it and then they will grind it down and they will distill it. And this stuff comes out really waxy. And it has like this kind of, it does have an oody smell just slightly, but it's more of a kind of woody balsamic aroma. And this is the stuff that is predominantly used in perfumes because it's a lot cheaper than buying $12,000 kilo oil, which per kilo, it's not profitable to make, I don't know, hundreds of, or thousands of, of oud perfumes is it'll cost you way more and, and it's not feasible. So this is what some of these big fragrance houses would do, would get the, the lowest. And, and there's a grade even lower than that. There's a grade even lower than that, which is called steam. It's, it's literally the byproduct of the oil extraction process. So they'll keep cooking it and cooking it. And it just becomes this dark, smoky, thick oil. But this particular oil is actually quite good in the sense that if you want to make a smoky fragrance, with a slight note of oud in it, it, it is the perfect thing for it. But yeah, that that is really cheap. That's the bottom of the barrel, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if you're just trying to make an interesting perfume, it could be an interesting material, right? It it just depends on what your goal is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and like I say, nothing gets wasted. Even the leaves get used. You know, the leaves, the the flowers that come from it as well, all gets used for tea and stuff like this. Yeah. It's a brilliant product to farm. Which is good. I mean, I think that's wonderful because, you know, we don't, once a tree has been tapped, it's, you know, you got to start all over, right? Well, exactly. Exactly. It's something that is, it's a sustainable thing for a lot of these third world countries is you could really make a number of products from it. You know, the direction I want to take in the near future will be to start my own plantation but do it in a permaculture format, you know, nice. try not to use pesticides or anything like that. The vast majority of it is already in that way is grown naturally without any pesticides. But I'd like to add that to my plantation and, and grow various other plants with it, you know, so making more products from it. So here's what I would call it from soil to oil. Soil to oil, you know, that's a good phrase. That's a very good <laughs> phrase. I like that. Good, good. It's yours. You take it. I mean, this is a podcast about smell, right? So let's talk about the smell of oud a little bit. Let's entice the listener about all the wonderful, complex aspects of oud. I want to thank you so much for sending me some of your wood chips and your oils. Wow, beautiful and so different when they're in the format of a wood chip when you burn it that way versus an oil, right? So beautiful. Thank you. It's something that truly remarkable in the sense like you could smell the same oil in the summer and it has a, a certain type of aroma and then you could smell the same oil in, in a different setting or in the winter and it's changed 
It's an incredible thing. I've, I've noticed with one oil that I had and I was wearing it in the Middle East and this is like 35 to 45 degrees Celsius. And then when I came back to England, it just smells so different. And for me, it's like a living fragrance. You know, it really is. It, it really, it just, it's incredibly versatile and the way it, it develops on your skin is just remarkable compared to anything yeah. else that I've tried. I mean, the wood chips, can we just talk about those wood chips and, and burning that? I have never experienced anything so beautiful. I bet like your first experience was, I, it was so smooth yet rich and complex. And you gave me a whole bunch of different ones to try out. And in fact, each one of them had a very unique personality. Maybe you can just touch on some of the different regions and different types, like the, the Hindi versus the, you know, Sri Lankan and all the rest. So I can't remember exactly what I sent you. I think I sent you Sri Lankan <laughs> and Indian and various other ones. To me, it's like they have their own personalities like the hindi is like this introvert you know it's really kind of it for me it's the perfect oud chip to use if you're meditating it's a brings out this inner feeling each time so for instance when you first put a wood chip on charcoal or on a heater on a heater it'll smell slightly different on charcoal especially with hindi and if you draw close enough to the charcoal you don't want to be too close but just put your head ab above the charcoal and this is where the magic happens. It's in that first few seconds. When you place it on there, you'll get this beautiful aroma of this top note of like mint, eucalyptus, and it's almost like rosemary effect. You know, that rosemary has on the mind, but then it's, it's so short lived. It's just, ah, uh, this is where the magic happens. I've mentioned this before is it, oud is like a drug. It's a mild stimulus, honestly, because if you look at the Middle East, there's millions of people that they're addicted to it. And it's that first initial smell. The moment you smell it, that top note that really grabs your attention. You're just like, it's just, yeah, it, it, it really, for me, it's just like, oh man, I need, I need to put, I need to smell it again. You know, it's this urge to put another piece in it. And then, and that's where you lose all your money. <laughs> the Hindi one, I just, that one really was beautiful for me. I mean, I, I mean, they're all beautiful in their own way. Yeah, this is the thing. This is the addictive aspects to it because that moment where you really experience the beautiful aroma of, of, of like I say, the top notes and then all the other, the, the bass and, and the middle notes and the effect it has on your, on your um, olfactory senses is, 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 is divine. Okay, I need to say something that listeners can't see you. But as you were describing these smells, the liveliness and the passion that comes out when you're talking about it, I can just sense this is something that's really near and dear to your heart. I mean, just the, if only people could see you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been doing this for 10 years and love for it is still there. You know, unlike most other things in life, things wear out over time. Yeah, I, I love this stuff. For me, I, yeah. it's something that I'll be doing for the day I die, literally. It's, yes, it's a beautiful thing. Well, let's talk about your company, Oudbase. I want the listeners to learn about the business that you have. So you sell both wood chips and your distilled oil, right? Yeah, we're in a transition period at the moment. But yeah, I'll, I'll be doing more kind of broader fragrances, which will have oud in it as well. So yeah, standard fragrance as opposed to just oud oil. So I'll be selling 
normal fragrances with oud oil in it, as well as oud oils and wood chips. But yeah, like I mentioned to you earlier, my family and and I, uh, we do like wholesale in the Middle East. And this also enables me to distill my own oils. So we have a distillery out there as well. And this is where I make some of the videos and and try and show people how it's all done and all all, all of that kind of aspects of it on my YouTube channel. But if I, as a perfumer or an aromatherapist or just if you're none of those, but you just really are interested in Oud, you can still go to your website and buy directly and you ship everywhere, right? Uh, we, we do do that, but um, like I say, we, we're in a transition period. So right now you won't be able to purchase anything from my website. I am um, updating everything. So yeah, it, it'll be a while, it'll be a, a couple of more weeks or maybe a month or so, uh, but it, it'll be back online soon. Yeah. So just a little patience, but it'll be updated. But we'll still put your website on the show notes just so people can stay in touch and just learn a little bit more about what you do because it's wonderful work and especially your videos, just educating people. I think, you know, it's really great information that you have. So thank you for that. I always like to ask my guests three questions at the end. So I can't wait to hear more about you personally, Rahel. So I wanted to ask you, first of all, what's your favorite smell right now? Any smell? Right now, my favorite smell would be frankincense. I go through these stages of, I like to burn. When I'm not burning oud, I, I, I burn frankincense. I, I, I love the aroma and, and the effects of it. It's, it's really uh, super yeah. uplifting uh, for me. Wonderful, wonderful. And then could you share any favorite scent memory that you might have? Favorite scent memory? I, I would say it, it would probably be monsoon rain. The the smell of pachira, pachura, if it's called, you know, the smell of rain when it hits the, the hot tarmac. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. I, I love that smell. I love that smell. It also reminds me of when I went traveling in Southeast Asia and I remember being on, on, on a beach, which was near this kind of main road and it was so hot and suddenly just downpour of rain and you just, you, you could literally hear the uh, raindrops sizzling on the tarmac and yeah, it was an amazing time at, at that moment. Yeah. I had some fun memories. And my last question for you is what are five smells that best describe you? So for me, I like the outdoors. So herbaceous notes are something that I, I, I like. I like fresh notes as well. So I would say kind of the the patchouli, the rose. What else? Yeah, obviously oud. So what else? Sandalwood as well. I'm I'm a big, big fan of sandalwood. Yeah. Those would probably be my favorite aroma. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me, Rahel. I think this has been really interesting to learn more about Oud, and I just want to thank you for coming on and and joining me here today. Thank you for having me on. This is my first podcast. So yeah, it was interesting to be speaking to you. Thank you for joining me on An Aromatic Life. If you're interested in learning more about your sense of smell from all different perspectives, subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends too. And it would be really helpful if you could rate the podcast so it helps others find it too. I also invite you to check out my website, smellgym.com, where you can take online classes to exercise your sense of smell for health and well-being. 
And while you're there, be sure to grab the free guide to help you elevate your smell health with everyday items in your home. Until next time, remember to smell everything and have a wonderful day.